Well, we are in the midst of a sermon series on the Holy Spirit, and our scripture text this morning comes from the Gospel of John. It is John 16, verses 4 through 15. So hear God's word to us this morning. Jesus is speaking throughout this, and he says to his disciples, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. And he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And all that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The word of the Lord. One of the hardest things about the past four months of lockdown is the sense of disconnect or sep- and separation that we have from one another. Even when we gather in person, we have to keep our distance from one another. We don't shake hands or offer hugs, and we're often trying to have conversations through masks, which is a very difficult thing to do, to even hear one another. Um, can't read facial expressions. You know, I, I've commented to a few people that it's great having people back, but now everybody has masks on, and I can't really interact with you because I can't really see what you're thinking as I preach because your face are covered. I think one of the saddest things about the impact that the virus has had beyond simple, the simple health impact upon people's body is the, the experience of separation, of, of physical separation and the way that that has translated for many of us, depending on the relationships, into relational distance from one another, which creates sadness. And that experience of sadness that many of us are feeling right now is very close to what the disciples themselves were experiencing as Jesus began began to talk to them about his departure. Jesus himself recognizes he's very emotionally intelligent, Jesus. And he says, sorrow has filled your hearts. Sorrow has filled your hearts. The disciples were completely surprised and mystified and disheartened when Jesus announced to them that he would be leaving soon to go to the Father. And it raises, I think, a really important question for us as we think about our relationship with Jesus. What does it mean to have a relationship with someone you've never met or seen? At least the disciples were able to spend time with Jesus in person prior to his departure. But none of us, maybe some of you, (laughs) uh, we've never seen Jesus in person. 
We've never seen him in the flesh. We've never touched him or experienced him. And so what does it mean to have a relationship with him? How, is, how does he become real? How is Jesus more than just an idea or a theological set of beliefs or maybe a moral practice? And Jesus himself, in the Gospel of John especially, is insistent on how intensely relational and personal he sees his relationship with his own people. Uh, just a couple from, from these chapters, um, chapters 14 through 17, um, Jesus talks a lot. One of the things he says, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Abide in me and I in you. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. And you think about that relational image. A little later, Jesus is praying, Father, I desire that, that they also, his disciples, whom you have given to me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you love me. And Jesus is saying, I want them with me. <laughs> The writer of, of the Gospel of John also goes by the name of the Beloved. He refers to himself as the Beloved Disciple, the one who reclined on Jesus' breast. The Gospel of John um, and Jesus in that Gospel depicts his relationship with his disciples as one of deep intimacy and closeness. But again, what does it mean to have a relationship an intimate relationship with someone you've never seen in person. And Jesus makes a really astounding claim in this passage to this point. He says, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. It is better that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Okay, <laughs> how is it better that Jesus be physically absent from us? How is that better than his physical presence? The answer is, it's what we get in return for his departure. And what we get in return is the Spirit. If Jesus does not go, the Holy Spirit will not come. And if the Spirit comes, however, it is possible for us to experience Jesus as fully as if he were present physically, in fact, more fully. The ministry of the Holy Spirit in one of the central ministries of the Holy Spirit in our life is to make Jesus real. It's to make Jesus real. John Calvin um, spoke often about it is the work of the Spirit to connect things that are separated by the distance of space. That the spirit, in a sense, overcomes the distance of space and separation to connect us. The spirit connects us to the person of Jesus. The spirit becomes like a relational link, if you will, to make Jesus present. And so that's what I just want to explore with you this morning. This central work of the Holy Spirit in our life of making Jesus real. So the question is, how does this work? How does it happen? How is it possible? And the first question we have to answer is, who is the Holy Spirit in relationship to the person of Jesus? Who is the Holy Spirit in relationship to the person of Jesus? This is very important. Because the Spirit is able to connect us to the person of Jesus because he has a uniquely close relationship with Jesus. 
Jesus is who he is because of his relationship with the Spirit. And in fact, Jesus of Nazareth would not be Jesus of Nazareth if it were not for the Holy Spirit. Think about the birth of Jesus. In the Gospel, it says that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Creator Spirit was at work in the womb of Mary, miraculously forming the body of Jesus in her womb. Jesus owes his physical existence, his, his enfleshment, in part, to the work of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus is baptized, it says that the Spirit comes down like a dove and alights upon him. And then it says the Spirit thrust him out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. And in the Gospel of Luke, when Jesus comes back, it says, then be, Jesus begins his ministry in Galilee, and he was full of the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Gospel of Luke makes very clear that throughout Jesus' ministry, all of his miracles, all the great things he does, he does in the power of the Holy Spirit. There is nothing that Jesus does in his life. There is no aspect of his life that is not, um, in a sense, um, where the Spirit is fully and intimately present in his birth, in his baptism, in his ministry of miracles. Yes, even in the cross, in his resurrection from the dead, and in his ascension into heaven. Jesus, as the Gospel of John says, has the Spirit without measure. He has the Spirit without measure, which means that, that there's, there's no holding back of the Spirit. It is full and completely poured out on him. And in his humanity, he is uniquely the Spirit bearer. And because he's the spirit bearer, he can be the spirit giver. And this is key. But the snag is this. In order for him to become the spirit giver, he has to leave. He has to leave. Unless I leave and go to the Father, the spirit will not come to you. What is Jesus talking about here? Why does he have to leave? This uh, departure of Jesus, of course, is a reference to uh, his ascension into heaven. Jesus has to ascend into heaven before the Spirit can be sent. Now, there's a whole lot of deep theology behind the reasoning. But, but I just very briefly just want to mention one. Jesus, when he ascends to heaven, what he does is he sits down at the right hand of God, the Father having made full atonement of sins. The ascension is, is, is sort of the last great work of Jesus, where Jesus, it, it is basically mission accomplished. He brings fully redeemed humanity into heaven and sits down at the right hand of the Father and atonement for sins has been made. And now the Father hands, to, he, he exalts Jesus and, the spirit, and then, this, then the, Jesus can send the Spirit of God down on his people. And what we're talking about, the spirit we're talking about here is not necessarily just the creator spirit because the spirit's always been present, but now the spirit can be given to God's people as Holy Spirit, as God's temple presence, as the intimacy of God, Jesus sends. Now, again, there's a lot there that we could unpack, but I wanna just draw your attention to that. So when Jesus sends the spirit, what the Spirit does, though, is point back to Jesus, just in the way that Jesus is always pointing back to the Father. 
The early church father, Irenaeus, often spoke, he spoke of um, Jesus and the Spirit as the two hands of the Father. And they, they, they're the two hands of God, right? That they're working together in, in complete harmony and congruity to bring all things back to the Father. And so Jesus goes to the Father, and the Father and the Son send the Spirit, and then the Spirit directs us back to Jesus and Jesus back to the Father. Again, it's this tri triune um, life that's going on. But one of the things that we see about the role of the Holy Spirit in relationship to the Father and the Son is that, and this is one of the other church fathers, St. Augustine, talked about the Holy Spirit um, as the bond of love between the Father and the Son. That the Spirit is, is, is the person of God who unites and connects and mediates even the love and relationship between the Father and the Son and his mission. That the Spirit is the bond of love, the, the in-betweenness, if you will, of God. The presence of love, such that the gift of the Spirit is the gift of love itself in a present reality. Let me try to illustrate kind of what I mean here. Have you ever gone to the park and you've seen a father and a son uh, playing catch together? And you just, you saw the, the father and the son and there, were just, there was this deep bond of father-son connection, of joy and laughter and connection. See, it's that in-betweenness, it's that, it's that connection, it's that intimacy between father and son that is a thing that you can't even see. Or have you ever gone and seen a couple completely uh, engrossed in conversation over dinner, loving, affection, just, it's like the world doesn't exist, and they're there, and they're locked in love and affection. You can't see the love, you can't see the intimacy, but you know it's there, there's something going on between these two. That's what the bond of love is, that's what the spirit is like. The spirit is like the bond of love, of affection between father and son. To be given the spirit of God then means that you get drawn into that love. See, the love of God for us, friends, is not simply like this one directional thing. What, to experience the love of God is, in a sense, imagine if you are walking your dog through the park and you see that father and son playing catch. Imagine if you could get inside their experience and experience what they're experiencing or that couple that is just sort of dead-eye locked on one another over a romantic manner. Imagine if you could experience what they're experiencing. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit makes us to experience the love of the Father and the Son such that we become participants in that. This is what it means to abide in Jesus and for him to abide in us and to share the love of the Father. You become part of this family that you look on from the outside and you think, oh man, it would be so great to be a child of this father. <laughs> It would be so great to have this man as my friend or as my brother. That's what the Holy Spirit does experientially in our life. Now, I don't want to over the whole idea of the Holy Spirit as a bond of love. It is true, but what this passage wants us to see, though, is that um, sometimes... The work of the Holy Spirit in relationship to Jesus is not to bring comfort 
to an unbelieving world, but actually affliction. But affliction in order to turn us to God. And so this is an important first step for Jesus to become real in our life. Um, let me, I just want to draw your attention to the word that Jesus uses to describe the Holy Spirit. He uses the word helper. Um, the, the Greek word is very hard to translate. It's the paraclete. Not parakeet, paraclete. Um, it's variously translated as comforter, helper, um, advocate. Um, it literally means to call to one's side. And um, it is best, I think, the best translation of that word in this particular context is uh, attorney <laughs> or advocate. It, it, because there's a very legal aspect. And I know you have to stick with me here. Um, but but, but the, the, the image here of the Holy Spirit and how Jesus talks about it is as kind of like a lawyer. The world is like a courtroom setting in which the Holy Spirit, um, on one hand, is like a prosecuting attorney. And then for those who have embraced Jesus, then becomes like a defense lawyer. So let, I, let, me, let me just, let's, let me show you what I mean by prosecuting attorney. Look at verse uh, 8. And when he comes, the Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Now this is a, a difficult passage of scripture to interpret, but the bottom line is this, is that the Spirit confronts an unbelieving world with the truth and reality of Jesus by, by, by creating conviction. Conviction. And by conviction, I mean uh, feelings of guilt, <laughs> of wrongdoing. I, again, this, the Spirit is like a prosecuting attorney, and he brings people into the presence of God, into the presence of Jesus, to be confronted by their unbelief, which is always the root of sin, right? Unbelief. <clears throat> and I think this is a really important point just to reflect on for what it means for Jesus to become real in our lives. Because the temptation for us is always to want to make Jesus into our own image. To think that Jesus will always sort of affirm my lifestyle choices and what I want and desire out of the world. But that's really just to, to have a, an imaginary Jesus. We can't do that with other human beings. We can't make them what we want them to be. But we do this all the time with Jesus. And, and this, the role of the Spirit is to disrupt this and to confront us with the real Jesus, to confront the righteousness of Jesus. So again, the world is like Jesus' courtroom and the Holy Spirit enlists our own conscience as a jury to uncover guilt and to afflict us sometimes, to agitate us in our unbelief. And I know in a therapeutic culture that this idea of the Spirit of God would actually afflict you and cause you to feel guilt and maybe even shame is a very uh, heretical thing, to be honest, very unsettling. I mean, we go to therapists to help us escape feelings of guilt and shame. And I, but so much of, much of our culture is built around this idea of alleviating uh, negative feelings about ourselves. But the reality is this, is that no matter how far you go down that road of 
of kind of therapies of self-acceptance. The reality is this, that the law of God is written on our hearts. It's written on our hearts. And when we disobey it, when we disobey it, the Spirit is there to remind us <laughs> that we've disobeyed it. There's no hiding from the Spirit. Remember what the psalmist says. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the grave, you are there. There's no escaping the spirit. Now again, I know this is a hard thing for us in our culture to accept. And I, I want to be really clear in saying that it is true that there are very harmful and false forms of guilt and shame that, that we experience that are not the work of the Holy Spirit. They're actually the work of the evil one accusing us and when those things happen that's when the spirit if we are in Jesus Christ becomes our defense lawyer but I just want to pause and linger for a minute longer with this idea that the spirit works moral conviction through guilt through a variety of, of feelings in our life it's what you call godly guilt godly sorrow it's a good thing Again, think about the way the human body works, right? Physical pain causes us to pay attention to the mortal danger, like potentially life-threatening injury to our bodies. Pain is a gift. Pain is a gift that the body gives us to say, pay attention, you might end up ruining your body and dying. And it's the same with, 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 um, with moral pain. And again, our, 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 our tendency is to, to try to numb ourselves, to distract ourselves. But the reality is, is we need to become present to the pain. We need to listen to our conscience. We need to become curious about why we're feeling the way we're feeling. And sometimes it's guilt and shame. Sometimes uh, wrongdoing is actually hidden under mounds of anger or sadness that we're not actually willing to go down and plumb the depths and let the spirit. But again, with the spirit, allow yourself to follow down because pain is a gift of God. Moral pain is a gift from the Lord to kind of wake us up and say, what is going on in your soul? Where are you in relationship to this man, Jesus? The absence of any kind of pain, of guilt or shame in our life um, is not a kindness, in fact. It is not a kindness of God to remove that from us, but actually an expression of his wrath when we can no longer talk. Because friends, the reality is this, the human heart is a spin zone. It is a spin zone, like MSNBC or Fox News. We all have this self-talk, that's what therapists talk about, self-talk. And, and you have a Rachel Maddow or a Tucker Carlson that's always doing the talking in your heart. And so all new information, new experiences, new news that comes into your heart you have this spin zone, and you're able to spin it into the direction that fits your narrative, and that makes sense, and that sort of you know, affirms your identity how you want. But the convicting work of the Spirit is to cut through the spin zone, to expose the lies that we tell ourselves, and to confront us with reality, true reality. And true reality is Jesus. True reality is his righteousness. To encounter Jesus is to encounter reality itself. And the work of the Spirit is to lead us into all truth. Not just intellectual truth, but this, again, this is a unique work of the Spirit, is to lead us to truth 
in, as the psalmist says in Psalm 51, in our, my innermost parts, all the nooks and all the crannies of my life. And the reality is this, friends, that no amount of therapy or, or positive self-talk will ever truly resolve the deep guilt and shame we feel in our lives. See, the work of the Spirit is not to just make us feel guilty for guilt's sake or to feel shame or to feel bad, but it is to actually bring us to the person of Jesus for true healing because only he can truly absolve us and to heal us and allow us to escape the deep grip that guilt hangs on us. And the beautiful thing is this, is when we embrace the person of Jesus and we recognize the reality of our sinfulness and we, we, we begin to repent, the Spirit walks from one side of the courtroom to the other side of the courtroom. He gets behind the prosecutor's desk and he walks and he stands behind the defendant's desk. And he begins to argue our case on our behalf. And he begins by saying this. This son, this is a son, this is a daughter of the father who is loved. This is a friend of Jesus. And this friend of Jesus has received mercy and received grace. And what he does is he, he declares this. When our conscience is weighed down by guilt, when our hearts are filled with shame, when the devil accuses us, the Holy Spirit steps in as our defender. He presses our case. Jesus says, the Spirit will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And I love that, you know, take note again of the legal language here of of declaring. Again, you get this picture of the Spirit as like an attorney. He's arguing on our behalf. But the courtroom is not sort of in the public sphere. It's actually in our own hearts. And he's arguing, disrupting our condemning self-talk. And what I want you to see here is the the role that the Holy Spirit plays in what, what Paul calls justification. Justification by grace through faith. The, the Spirit, what he's doing is he is pronouncing forgiveness to us. He is speaking forgiveness and mercy to our hearts that condemn us. This is part, we'll, we'll talk later in, in the weeks to come about, this is part of the ministry of the Spirit, uh, the ministry of assurance, the assurance of the Spirit. He declares in our inner person, you are a child of God. <laughs> you have received grace and mercy and forgiveness. Everything that belongs to Jesus belongs to you. What Paul says in Ephesians, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places belongs to us. All of his righteousness. And what the Spirit does uniquely is it, he, he takes it from being something, on, as John Calvin uses this language, he's like, that flits on the top of the brain. <laughs> Truth that just flits on the top of the brain. That's so much of our experience of the Christian life. It's like, I have these theological truths. I believe them, but they're just on the top of my head, and I don't know how to get them into, inside of me. I don't know how to get them in my heart. Into my heart, I need to know how to get them into the inner parts. And that's what the Spirit does. That's the role of the Spirit, is to take all that truth that sometimes just sticks up here and to take it and move it down into your body, into your heart, into your soul. That's what it means for the Spirit to make Jesus real. It is a strange thing that Jesus says, that it is to your advantage, that it's better that I leave. 
But it is better because the gift of the Spirit, by the gift of the Spirit, Jesus can actually become more real, more experienced, more intimate than if he were here in the flesh. Because what the Spirit does is he takes what is outside and he brings it on the inside to the innermost parts of our life. The Spirit is the one who makes us to abide in Jesus and for Jesus to abide in us. And the more and more real Jesus becomes in our life, the more the Spirit is is pushing us into his life. I just want to close with this this one image, going back to the Spirit's work um, in the womb of Mary. When you think about what the Spirit was doing, the Spirit was creating Jesus, (laughs) his very body, stitching and sewing him together out of the flesh out of the blood, out of the cells of Mary to create a living human being. And in a way, metaphorically speaking, that's what the Spirit is doing to each one of us. He Spirit dwells in us, and what he's doing, he's forming Jesus in us. That's what Jesus means when he says they will be glor- that I will be glorified in them. That's, that Jesus, he, he, it's like, like a child. He, he, it's like he takes on form in us and dwells in us. Friends, that is the ministry of the Holy Spirit, is to make Jesus real. Let's pray. Father, we we give you thanks for the beauty of the Christian life and and the ways in which that even as we experience much separation in our life uh, from one another, but, but from the beginning, from Christ who is in heaven, we know that we are not alone and that, in fact, he dwells with us and is in us and we dwell in him. Father, help us to know that you are real, that Jesus is real, and help us to learn um, to, to embrace the ministry of the Spirit in our hearts and to listen to him, to listen and to be con- more deeply connected to you. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.